Welcome to the Music Education Advocate Podcast, where we share stories and strategies to support music education advocacy. My name is Jasmine, and I'm your host. And happy music in our schools month! But if you are new and have no clue what Music in Our Schools <laughs> Month is, our guest today is Rob Lida, and he's going to tell us all about this fantastic month called Music in Our Schools Month. Hey, Rob, how's it going? Hey, Jasmine, it is so good to be with you today. You know, I don't know that I can tell you everything about Music in Our Schools Month, <laughs> but I'm going to do my best to tell you what I know and how I've lived Music in Our Schools Month the past couple of years. Woo, woo. I'm so excited. Okay, before <clears throat> we get started, got to back it up, slow it down, breathe, because it is a fantastic month, but tell our guests who you are and what's your role at the National Association for Music Education. Yeah, so my name is Rob Lida. I live in Auburn, Alabama. I am a K-2 general music teacher here in the Auburn City Schools, and I am the chair of NAFME's Council for General Music Education. We represent general music teachers from pre-K through eighth grade primarily, but really as needs arise and like during the pandemic and things when people were needing guidance and how to teach general music, no matter what the grade, we were the folks that helped to create some of that guidance and help people see see their way through. So primarily we're pre-K through eighth grade, but but we really try to help all of our members that are teaching general music, no matter the level. Yes. And as a personal thank you, I was one of the <laughs> teachers teaching um, elementary and general music. So I appreciate those guidance that you provided to us because they were extremely helpful. All right. Um, so what's um, Music in Our Schools Month about? What What is this thing? And for sure, I've heard it called Miasm or M-I-O-S-M. What is that all about? Well, we, we just call it Music in Our Schools Month. It's too, there are too many, you know, four and five letter combinations at, at NAFME that we can see there's one of those combinations right there with NAFME. Um, <laughs> so really, we just call it Music in Our Schools Month. And I, I the history, there's a great history on the um, NAFME website, the history of Music in Our Schools Month. But it happened, uh, my understanding is the original Music in Our Schools Month celebration happened in New York. And I know my friends and colleagues in New York will quickly correct me that this started <laughs> in New York. Yes. Um, by um, Joe Sugar. And so it is known as Joe Sugar Day in New York. And they celebrate um, uh, the having music in schools from pre-K through 12. And it was a day to go to the Capitol, from my understanding, um, to really promote the importance of music education um, at the state Capitol in New York. Now it has morphed into all kinds of things. And different people have different memories of music in our schools month. Through the years, I've had people when I took over this role that called and told me about they they were in the McDonald's All American Marching Band that celebrated Music in Our Schools Month. What? Which I really didn't know that much about that, but they told me all of these different things through the years that NAFME's done, and I can remember as a um, elementary age child, and then also when I first started teaching, the world's largest concert was mm-hmm. a big thing. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> and I remember, um, you know, we would get the packet of songs and everyone would learn the same song, you know, group of songs. And then on a magical day in March, we would all get, all sing wherever we are at a certain time. And then it created the world's largest concert. And I remember watching in my elementary school, the world's largest concert broadcast, where I think it was on PBS or something, watching it and seeing the school that my aunt was principal of, her chorus, because they had, we had sung in 
honor choir in our district and everything with them. But they were singing on the beach with sea oats and everything as I grew up in Panama City, Florida. Um, so I remember seeing that. And so that is one of those core memories that is, you know, with me about Music in Our Schools Month is that world's largest concert and um, how we've, how that, uh, you know, was a big thing, especially at, it seems like in the 90s, early 2000s. Yes. Um, but in my role as the chair of the Council for General Music, we really thought uh, a couple of years ago, we were um, getting a lot of requests from people to um, see standards based with the 2014 standards. People wanted to see real live lesson plans of how the standards could be um, realized in their classrooms. They wanted not theory of how the standards could, they wanted to see lesson plans that had been done with children and and everything. So our council made the decision that instead of the sis boom ba, you know, in March, yes, that's when it does culminate. But we really started, we started creating lesson plans that you could um, uh, start teaching maybe in October, November, December, January, and you have your culmination in March. So we would never take Music in Our Schools Month away from March. But the realities of teaching, um, you know, that we have testing, we have spring break, we have all kinds of things that happen. And so we were, our, our thought was that doing the lesson plans in a new way, in a new format, really looking at the process of music teaching instead of just the product of music teaching yes. would give people the freedom to realize music in our schools month, however they needed to in their situation. Awesome. Uh, so you're talking about some lesson plans. Um, I know a little bit about the lesson plans because I taught them, but can you explain the process that has been happening over a couple of years now with the work of the council? Yeah. So we started with these lesson plans and like I said, they're standards based. And so the first year we, we focused on just one grade level because not only were um, our members asking for lesson plans, we were still trying to figure out ourselves because the standards were relatively new when we started this process, how to realize the standards and to help music teachers to use them in their classroom. So the first year we start with first grade and we offered several um, lesson plans and most of the songs that we found for the lesson plans were from the Library of Congress because Ooh. copyright, you know, is the is the big thing. And if it's in the Library of Congress, usually we have for educational use, we can use the the recordings and things. But as the years have gone on, we've tried to branch out a little bit more to where so many of us have streaming music services mm-hmm. um, that we could find the recordings through. If you have Spotify or iTunes or Apple Music or whatever it might be, YouTube Music. You can find a lot of the um, the the songs that we found um, through one of those streaming services. Okay. So the um, the first grade was our first year, and then we added a grade every year to where this year we actually did fourth and second grade. And so we've we have a little bit that spans the elementary um, grade bands from uh, K until really fourth. Our plan is by the end of next year that will have given us an entire cycle that we could have gotten at least representation from every grade level. Um, mm-hmm. And so the plan is that these lesson plans will never go away. That was one of the things about like the world largest world's largest concert and some of those resources, we were only given copyright clearance to use them for that one year of that oh. world's largest concert or that one year. And so if you didn't keep your uh, 
your lesson plans that came in music educator journal or teaching music. I can't remember which one it came in, you know, that the pull out in the center, right. Right. If if you didn't download them off the website. Yeah. That I'm going way back now. If if you didn't, um, if you didn't pull them out or if you didn't download them off the website after March was over, you lost access to those resources. Right. Right. So the thought was that we would create a library of standard space lesson plans that general music teachers, could use at any time. And um, the last couple of years, we've tried to be um, very intentional to make sure that we branched out and we tried to represent, um, at first we started with the Library of Congress, and so that was a lot of folk song type things, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but we've really tried to branch out to make sure that we represent um, all people and all cultures and mm-hmm. make sure that we have um, lesson plans that are representative. And one thing that we haven't, about this year's lesson plans, that we haven't really I, we, it hasn't been a secret, but it hasn't been like shout from the mountaintops type public thing. We designed these lesson plans really for some of those concepts that are, um, that have been, uh, there are folk songs that are so wed to the concepts because they, it's like a good folk song to teach half note or a good folk song to teach, you know, Takadimi or uh, Tiri Tiri or whatever your counting yep. system. You know, when we thought about it, if we were calling to at, calling on people to make this change and to think about their curriculum in a different way, we as the council wanted to model that. So all of the lesson plans this year were um, written to replace some folk song that was leb- labeled as problematic. And so um, so we, we wanted to make sure that because that's one of the things we've heard from people, too, is. You know, I know this song has been labeled as problematic, but how am I going to teach half note? How am I going to teach this? And so, you know, we, another we, way. Yeah, we wanted to just we wanted to put forth the good faith and yeah, to put forth the uh, you know put our money where our mouth was. I guess is the best mm-hmm, way to say. It. Mm-hmm. And say you know if if we are helping to elevate voices that are educating us and telling us to find a new way, then we need to help be part of the solution to help people find a new way. Yeah, I'm excited about um, all the opportunities that Music in Our Schools Month brings for our schools and especially with the support of the General Music Council. Um, But I wanna shift a little bit to talking about how Music in Our Schools Month is an opportunity for advocacy. Um, I I like to say when I was teaching, it was our time to shine. Uh, There was no no excuse for me not to be extra during Music in Our Schools Month. And I was like, yes, because uh, my students and I, we, we love to shine especially during this month. So let's talk about like, how do advocates, whether they're teachers or community members, parents, administrators, whatever their label might be within the educational spectrum, how can they use music in our schools month as a way to promote music education as a part of a well-rounded education? Yeah. Um, well, I want to mention one more resource before. Yes. Uh, and I'm so, glad you mentioned these resources yeah. because mm-hmm. I can tag them in this episode. So everybody make sure you go to the show notes so you can find all these resources. Okay. All so right. we, um, the first, the, the next resource is um, we have put out for several years, daily prompts and oh, they're I like every, those. yeah. So every day of March, there's like a, sometimes it's like fun facts like did you know the first orchestra in america was founded on this date and blah blah and then some of them are like during the pandemic we really had to think like 
you know, we couldn't sing and we were isolated and it was, Mm -hmm. what's your favorite song? Call someone on the phone and sing it to them. You know, some of those little things like, so we could still make music, but not, you know, make music in the ways that we had. Um, so this year we're in the final stages of editing, um, you know, in full disclosure, recording this before March. Um, so we're in the final (laughs) stages of editing the final, the daily prompts for March. And so those will be up in the, on the NAPME website, um, before March and, People have used those to put on their social media. They've used them on their morning announcements at their schools. You know, they've used them for all kinds of things. So that's one advocacy thing. Um, The one thing that when we move this process into product, another advocacy thing is we got to open our doors to our school and we got to invite people in Mm -hmm. and not just for programs. They need to see our process. And so, um, you know, before we started this, we talked about student teachers. And, you know, one, one thing about having a student teacher and I think a lot of teachers are um, a little apprehensive about people coming in and watching them teach because teaching is so personal to all of us. And it's yeah. our process and it's such a part of our identity and who we are. We don't want anybody to see our teaching as less than, not that I think anyone ever would, but we've got to open the door and let people in to see how we teach music concept because all they see is the end product. Yeah, They never see the process to see all the steps it takes to get to that end product, then it creates this false understanding of how music education works. Mm-hmm. How many times have you, I mean, when you were an elementary teacher um, that your principal would say, Hey, I need, I need you to work up five songs by next Wednesday. <laughs> it would be like right. Friday, you know, and they, maybe not. <laughs> yeah. They don't really understand, but inviting people in to see the process. And it's that education. Um, the other you know, thing, Rob, I was going to tell you when you were talking about inviting people in, I actually had a like the biggest light bulb. So my principal used to walk through the halls and peek in through the window. You know how we all have that little window. Well, I didn't have a window. And so he had no clue what was going on. And it never dawned upon me until one time he had made a comment. And I'm like, wait a second. He doesn't see into my classroom. And so what I did was um, I took my kids out into the hallway and they were working in small groups. And so when he would walk around, he would actually see them working in the hallway and making music. And it finally got to the point where he was like, oh, I see you were making music, but can you take it into the classroom now? (laughs) Because he knew he was like, wow, they are really making great music, but can you take it back into the classroom? And I was like, mission accomplished because he now saw the process. So I totally agree about, you know, inviting people in, it doesn't have to be perfect, but it is a chance for them to see that process because there's a lot of work that happens in our classrooms. Well, if you think about the pandemic, it forced all of us on carts, most of the teachers. And, and in some ways that was the biggest advocacy, advocacy thing I mean, even mm-hmm. it was, it had such a great unintended consequence in many ways, mm-hmm. because I can't tell you how many times I would roll into a classroom and the teacher had nowhere to go. So they'd sit there during their playing period. And then they would ask me questions about my lesson, or they would say, I didn't know you did all this with the kids, or I didn't know that you were teaching, you know, actual real music, you know, and, yes. and so whatever it might be. So I think the more we can let people in to mm-hmm. see what we do and to see us, the joy that is in our classrooms, um, the joy between us, the joy that are that's in us, and yeah. the joy between us and the children, the joy in the children. I think that is powerful, which leads me to my 
new way I've been thinking about some advocacy stuff because you know oh. one of the hats is I, I'm the advocacy person for my state MEA and I'm the president of my state MEA. Woo-woo. Um, Wearing all those hats, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I, one of the things that I've been thinking about is authentic advocacy. You know, mm-hmm. so many times I think people are scared when they hear the word advocacy. They think that's somebody else's job, and they think. Oh, or it's a hill day. I have to go, you know, schoolhouse right rock. You know, I'm just a bill on Capitol Hill that they have to yeah. go and sit on the steps of the Capitol and wait for something <laughs> to happen. You know, but it's true. Yeah. But it's the authentic advocacy that happens every day. You know, the the parents that contact and say, hey, you know, I'm cleaning out. I have some old uh, toy instruments mm-hmm. um, that I'm cleaning out. Uh, what can I do with them? And, you know, we'll bring them. I, I can find a use for them or I might have. XYZ or, you know, whatever, Um, you know, there's those authentic moments where someone asks a question about something their kid learned in your music class, or they, you know, uh, I've had kids that have told their parents, oh, I know what that is. That's a quarter note when they were at church and they were looking in the hymnal, or they went to a concert and they told their parents, oh, we've got to be quiet. We can't clap here because this is a movement and Mm -hmm. there's going to be another, you know, just things that we take for granted as being kind of the culture as musicians that we are right. engrossed in that we pass on to our students. And, you know, those moments when parents take the opportunity and then I'm always, I'm so glad that they're teaching you and, you know, and that you're, you're having those moments. And then um, one of the things that another advocacy moment is finding ways to send what we do home um, because we can't always have everybody in the school. So like folk songs or song tales or books about songs, um, a couple of years ago in my library, I put a QR code that scanned to like the Spotify track. And so the kids could check them out when we would talk about them in music class and take them home and their parents could scan the QR code and it would take them to the website that played the songs. So they could hear how it went and then it gave them a musical moment, you know, to share with their family. So that's cool. yeah, any of those ways we can find authentic ways, you know, to connect what we're doing at school with home, that's advocacy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's advocacy. And I think uh, for music in our schools month in particular, I was able to connect with parents in a way like you were talking and they knew it was coming. Right. Um, Because if I had forgotten all the other months, I knew I was going to do it during the month of March. I would put, you know, we had a a weekly newsletter. So I would put like a prompt in for the parents. Um, like weekly prompt of what's your favorite song to sing and the parents and the child connected over that. So yes, getting the parents involved and connecting it in an authentic way is definitely a great way to advocate for your programs. I, yeah. I like that. So we talked about your lesson plans uh, that the council is making. We've talked about those awesome prompts, which I highly recommend everybody go check those prompts out. And, and we're talking about how to advocate for your program and being authentic. So let's dream a big dream. What happens if we were living in a world where all of our students had access to a variety of music offerings inside and outside of school? And they were not only culturally relevant, but properly funded. And they were authentic no matter where they were. Do you feel, do you still think that we would need to celebrate and participate in music in our schools? Oh, most certainly. You know, it's funny because in, um, I was thinking about something similar and I, I talking to a colleague about, um, <laughs> you know, people always think that we, or, or there's this perception that 
oh, kids might not remember something, so let's not do it because they're not going to remember that anyway. And and I said to them, you know, um, my kids don't remember what um, it was like when they were two or three and we celebrated holidays in our home. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that I didn't celebrate. We didn't celebrate those holidays just because they aren't going to remember it. We still did that. And so I think it's the same thing with um, Music in Our Schools Month. I mean, there is, even if you have the most perfect situation, you you have every instruments you could want you have every resource you have music uh pre-k through 12 and every building in your system in the system next door and there's still going to be people that you're going to have to advocate for and advocate to and um you know one of the things that i you know i've taught in a variety of music ed situations i've taught everything from pre-k to undergraduate And um, I've taught in schools that are in some of the poorest regions of my state. And I've Mm -hmm. taught in schools that are in some of the wealthiest regions in my state. And in every school that I've taught at, there are good teachers. There are, you know, great students. There are students that want to learn that um, there are students that need to be pushed to learn. There are students that need opportunities, even if they have the most money or they have like the the basic resources that many of us have everyone needs opportunities to learn and opportunities to shine and opportunities to have music in their life and so I feel very privileged to teach in the school system I teach in now where I have resources and there is music education in every school k through 12 in our school system and um we you know like I said we we have so many opportunities it's my job now to advocate for the places that I used to teach or the places that don't have music. Because one of the things that connecting with NAFME and this national network that we have with NAFME, this connectional um, you know, network that we have, is you realize when you start to interact with people around the country that every state isn't that different from your own state. You know, there are art deserts in every state. Mm-hmm. And so, I, yeah, if even if there was everything, you you would still have to advocate. We'd still need a music in our schools month. We would still, you know, um, have a need a reason to celebrate and to shine a light on the importance of music education. But now I see my job as I am advocating for my own program, but I have a lot of believers that are because they support me and support my program and support yeah. my system. I have to help make believers out of all of the people that don't have the resources or they don't have, or they don't think it's worth the money to put a music teacher in a school that's in rural wherever. And right. so that's my, I see that as my role now is that I, um, I, I have to stand up and speak out and advocate for the programs that have no other, nobody else, or it's not that they don't have anybody else. They just don't know how to use their voice yet. Yeah. Because, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say when you were talking, I thought, you know what? Um, In the elementary general music space, we have a unique time and where we see them for so long, but then they grow up Mm -hmm. and we want them to go to a program in a middle school. We want them to go to a program in a high school. And so I think this, um, I'll call it the ecosystem, right? Our ecosystem of music education from kindergarten all the way up to college and even past college, like your opportunities outside of the, the collegiate space. When I advocate, I'm not just advocating for my program. I'm advocating for their future. Right. 
and this I this idea of like that ecosystem is we all play a role in this music education advocacy ecosystem. And you were talking about educating not just your parents in that space because they also have connections, right? So they are going to go and educate. So it, it really is, you know, even if we ourselves had everything that we ever needed in our space, they still, we still have a responsibility to share that advocacy space and voice with other people who either A, don't have, or B, our kids are going to probably end up in their space, or maybe they not, maybe they won't at all. Uh, that's okay because we are still a part of this ecosystem. Oh, I like this. I've never thought about it like this before. This yeah. is good. <laughs> well, and you know, I, I even you know, another thing about general music sometimes is because you know, we 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 grow the kids up from little, 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 and sometimes even if they have middle school drum music and they mm-hmm. don't choose, let's say they don't choose to go into band, choir, or orchestra, they don't choose yep. there, there might not be a pathway that interests them in music. Um, you know, that totally is good. not, and, yeah. and it's not, you know, and there's nothing wrong with band, choir, orchestra. I participate in band and choir all the way through, mm-hmm. you know, you know, high middle school and high school and in college. Um, but there are some kids that that's just not their jam. And mm-hmm. so, um, as, as our ecosystem changes though, I hope that we will, um, find opportunities, more opportunities yes. for our students because, that's where the advocacy has got to keep coming to. Like the question is if we had it, we still have to advocate because we need to have general music teachers in secondary. We mm-hmm. need to have popular music ensemble teachers mm-hmm. in secondary. We need to have music production. We, there, we yeah. need, we yeah. need, we need, we need, we need multiple pathways for students to see themselves as musicians. And one, yeah. of, the, one of the times that this really hit home to me is I had a middle school kid one time. That was in my, I had a, a, a drumming ensemble that met during the day and we met a little after school and um, we played at a state conference. Several years later, after we had played at the state conference and we had done all that, I was in a store and I, this man walks up to me and says, do you remember me? And, you know, so many times when we teach, you know, when we teach people that yes. have grown up, you know, and, and it's always like. I, I recognize the face, but remind me of the name, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. and so, and um, he, when he told me his name, it's like, oh yes, oh, you were in blah, blah, blah. And, you know, oh, and your family lived, you yeah, know, and yeah. I could remember about the connections and we talked, how are you doing everything? And so we, you know, said all of our things and he walked off and a few minutes later, he walks into me and says, Dr. Lida, do you remember when we went to that conference and we played for all those important education people? And I said, yeah, I remember that. He's like, I remember every part you taught me, every part that I learned and played on. I remembered it. And, you know, that really made me think there should be music opportunities for him in our communities. That's Mm -hmm. where we have to advocate too, like lifelong music. We're going to have people that, that graduate from our programs or, you know, move on that aren't going to go to college that aren't going to get the Mm -hmm. opportunity, but we, we need community choirs, community bands, community orchestras community ukulele groups, community yeah. drumming circles, <laughs> you know, we need multiple ways for us to realize music education that is not just confined to music education is something we do in K-12 or K-20. It's something that we do throughout our whole life. And so that's to answer your question in a long round, we're always going to have to advocate, you yeah. know, we're going to have to advocate for music education to continue to evolve and change for people to see the value throughout life. 
And I think that that's the cool part about advocacy work that we do is that people will always continue to evolve and change and the way that we participate in music will evolve and change. And so I think that like the, the possibilities are endless on what we could be advocating for our students. And that's, that's the wild and crazy ride that we're on when it comes to advocacy, but it makes me excited, right? Wow. Um, because that means that we are widening this, the space for more people. So, right. Oh, um, that's good. the thing. I think that's an important thing too, Jasmine. We're widening the space for more people. We're not saying that w- the spaces we already have are invalid or not valuable mm-hmm. or not, not valued. I don't, in my mind, I mean, I'm the child of a band. My dad was a band director. My uncle was a band director. Aww. So I grew I up in that. this, in the, I mean, I lived in band rooms as a kid. Um, and I was in band and like I said, band and choir, I love, I don't ever see a time where we're going to not have band programs or choir programs. I mean, I think we have to fight for them just like yeah. we always do um, in orchestra programs, but you're, it's widening. It's offering it to more people to bring more people in to see the power of music education. Yeah. Um, the next question I have for you is what do you love most about teaching music? Hmm. That that's a great question. You know, I, I don't know. It changes from day to day. I mean, tell me more, you know, I I don't know. I just, I love the freedom that, especially the level I teach. I love the freedom that teaching music gives me like nowhere else in my life. Can I wear, you know, crazy hats and sing silly songs and, and have hear children laugh and hear children enjoy participating in music, see children get excited about learning new things. Mm -hmm. I mean, that to me, the children are always the number one thing that I love the most about teaching music and seeing just the pure joy. Uh, we started a ukulele unit about a month ago. Hey. We started our ukulele units to see the, we started in second grade and to see my second graders so excited because they've seen the ukuleles all the way through kindergarten. When do we get to play those little, those, you know, kindergarten, those little blue guitars, their ukuleles, you know, <laughs> or when do we get, you know, and then in first grade, they're waiting. And then in second grade, they start asking, when do, when and I say after, after winter break? Well, so just the joy and the excitement when it w- was the day and we said, you know, just, but it's not just about the ukulele. It's about anything we teach. Mm-hmm. It's just like, hey, we're going to learn about, well, yeah, you know, it's just that. And so, but I, I do love, I do love getting to be fun and whimsical and um, figuring unique ways to teach kids abstract concepts. Yes. and make them fun for them and make them come alive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one thing you talked about advocacy, I mean, going back to advocacy, um, at the school I'm at now, when I, the first year I was there, I bought a speaker that's battery operated so I can take it out. I do car line duty so yeah. I can and I play songs on, at the beginning of the school year, I play songs for the first two weeks every morning and I have a playlist, I had fun Friday playlist or a fun you know, music <laughs> playlist that we play. But then I also bring it out. The kids always know when it's a special day because I bring it out to play music. Like if it's um, like Mardi Gras started in Alabama, if people don't oh, know yeah. that. Um, and so when on Fat Tuesday, I'll bring the speaker out and I will play, you know, um, jazz and I will play different types of music on different, you know, holidays throughout the year uh, or different important musical days. I'll bring <laughs> the speaker out and I have a playlist for those days. And then the kids, that's another advocacy thing because the kids ask questions. The parents will stop and roll their window down and be like, 
what's what what's important today? You know, why is that? And so then, and I've put it on our school Facebook page or, you know, things about that. So it's just those moments to get to be extra, like you said, because I like being extra too. You know what I mean? <laughs> I've been I mean, known to wear a pair of gold shoes and, you know, and, <laughs> and crazy hats. And yeah, I yeah. Love, I see students I teach or former students and they'll run up and want to talk and tell me things. And and my kids sometimes will say, we can't go anywhere without you knowing somebody or someone coming to you. But, you know, what an honor that children want to run up to you and tell you things. What an honor that you're important in a, in a child's life that they want, they want to be around you. And to me, that's the greatest thing about teaching is it's just right. that I get to be with children and that, you know, even if the adults don't think what I do is important, the children think what I do the is children. important and it's important to them. And the <laughs> cool thing about that is children grow up to be adults and they remember whether you're in elementary school, middle school, mm-hmm. or high school, they remember the adult that made them feel safe, that made mm-hmm. them feel loved, and that made learning fun. We really do have the best job in the world. Oh, yeah. Educators, it's hands down the best job. And every, um, and every level is, because like I said, I've taught everything. I, every level has its own challenges and own uniqueness. Yes. And, and it's finding the joy in every level you teach, like, mm-hmm. you know, um, middle school, oh, bless their hearts. You know, I mean, <laughs> but but middle school kids are so funny and quirky, and they're just so, oh my gosh, they're so honest, and they're so you know, you you when there's the hard things, find the joy, and that's it. Finding that joy, oh my gosh, yeah. you try and find the joy wherever you are, and you know, um, and find ways to be joy to people and help them experience the joy of music. So yeah, yeah. Um, I always ask my guests. Do you have any questions for me about what I do or about advocacy in general? You know, it's funny. I, I really don't because I know what you do because we talk so much. But, <laughs> we work together uh, often. Because, because we, I mean, we see each other at least once a month in ALF meetings. Yes, um, it's true. Not, but, you know, one thing that you said when we were on a panel together last summer that really um, has stuck with me, and I thought about this quite a bit, is that we were talking about, um, there were two things that happened in that panel. One was when we shared our experiences of being music ed majors, because we were talking to collegiates oh, yeah. and how eye-opening it was for the collegiates that they didn't, that they were not isolated in the way they felt because mm-hmm. we all felt that, but just a generation or two before them. And that was eye-opening. But the other one was um, you, you made a comment about, you know, you really didn't like to read and write all that much, you know? <laughs> Do you, yes. you know where I'm going with this? Yes. But, but there was something exhilarating about reading legislation and figuring out how yes. it was going to impact music ed and everything. Mm-hmm. And so I guess one question I would ask you, and I kind of know the answer, but it's for your viewers, um, okay. is why is it so important for um, us as average everyday teachers to go and look at go to your state's legislative website and look at the bills that are filed and, and read through them and then imagine what, how that could impact your classrooms. Oh gosh, that's a great question. Okay. So in my state, I've shared the story before in my state, there was a legislative action that was going to cut music positions, art position, teaching positions, bus drivers, counselors, like across the board, educational budget cut. And I had to go in and start reading up on this legislation. Like, 
wait, that's going to be my job. How is that going to impact my students? How's that going to impact my work? What's going to happen? And so what I encourage people to do is get in there, just click on a bill and read it. Start with, you know, find an education organization in your state and see if they have synopses or summaries of what the bill is and then go read the bill. Right. And I don't know if you ever do this, but I, sometimes I play the game as I read the bills. I mean, I, I think I try to think of all of the unintended consequences. of oh. the bill. Like, um, yes. like for instance, we have a literacy bill that was passed, which no one is against children learning to read. I mean, Amen. I don't, I don't think anyone is against, no, we don't want to pass. We don't want children to read. Um, but we don't always think through the unintended consequences of those mm-hmm. bills that are passed and that are enacted. You know, I try to think through if this does pass, what are going to be the next steps for different groups yeah. of, you know, how is like the literacy act impact remediation programs? Yeah. And then it's going to impact. And then I try to look at other states that have passed similar legislation. Yeah. You've got to think through all the possible scenarios so you know how to advocate. Exactly. You are exactly right. But get in there, start reading it. It's okay if you're like, oh, I don't know what to do. And this is where you find your advocacy person at the state level and you start asking them and saying, hey, is there anything we need to know about this? But yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, well. Well, I just want to say on on behalf of, since I am a state advocacy rep, and (laughs) everything else that we just really appreciate, I know the MEAs really appreciate having the state advocacy engagement manager position at NAFME, because one thing for your viewers that might not know, we meet monthly, we have monthly ALF meetings, advocacy leadership force, um, and we talk about advocacy around the country and advocacy in the federal advocacy that we need to do, Um, but Jasmine Monet is very intentional in she listens to everything we say right i mean she is writing the entire hour and then she follows up with us and says hey you said this was happening in your state i love those meetings too because when once again it's that that connection feeling that other people are going through this too you know and 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 so so jasmine i just i really appreciate i appreciate nappy for having the position i appreciate you for being in that position to help all of us as we wade through everything. So oh, that makes my heart happy. Yes. So if you do have someone in your state that meets monthly with other state leaders who talk about advocacy, and I highly recommend that you reach out to those leaders and I'll list the advocacy state reps in this episode as well. So, because as someone who gets to work with them, Rob, I love working with y'all. Like it is the best hour of my month to meet with this group. I love it. So thanks for saying that. And same to you. It is a blast to be a part of this job. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> it's time. We are at the hour. Uh, but what I do want to say is thank you so much for all the work that you have done with Music in Our Schools Month, all the work that you've done with advocacy and all the work that you're doing with your kiddos. And to our listeners, I hope that you guys celebrate Music in Our Schools Month, not just once a month, not just once a year, but every day. All right, y'all. Have a great day. Bye. Bye.